Oh, the, the the pitfalls of living in the tropics on the beach, huh? I mean, what... yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you guys feel real so- sorry for me. Uh, I'm sure it's uh, nice and chilly there right now. Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast and joining me today is Michael from Bitcoin Beach. And we're going to get into everything that's going down on El Zonte in El Salvador. A community is thriving and moving on to a Bitcoin standard and it's uh, really exciting. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. And yeah, consider perhaps giving them a visit. Maybe after the 100k party down in Florida. It uh, will be a good uh, springboard into uh, El Salvador. Anyway, uh, before we get into this episode make sure you go check out coin floor they are doing amazing things and swan bitcoin over in the states both companies purely bitcoin both companies care about you and your rabbit hole journey and they want you to start stacking sats in a slow deliberate manner into this bull run so that's coin floor in the uk coinfloor.co.uk and swanbitcoin.com in the US. Both, if you use forward slash bitten, you will get that referral link and uh, there will be some goodies waiting for you on the other side. So really appreciate you listening. Everybody who's sharing, tweeting, liking, retweeting, rating, reviewing, appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy the episode. Well, Lauren and Caitlin are here to, to ask the first question. They always ask the first questions on these, uh, these podcasts. Um, might be around the same age as your son. I don't know. Lauren, you got a birthday coming up, haven't you? So I'm nearly 10. Wow. Big excitement in the Prince household. And Caitlin's nice, in nice. her mid-teens and uh, keeping us all okay. on our toes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have a couple, couple in their mid, mid-teens. So, uh, yeah. Really? Both boys? It's uh, it's it, no. I have a uh, my my son is fourteen and my my daughter's sixteen. So, we got one of each. Uh, they're in that uh, exciting phase of life. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, I bet. So, well, do you guys have any questions for Michael about uh, Bitcoin Beach? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. But I forgot one of the words. One of the words. Yes. What? Uh. We'll start the question and then we'll we'll figure it out. Okay, but like it's a really big one. Okay, let's go for it. Oh yeah, that was <laughs> <go>. <laughs> Come on then. Um. So, how many nationalities live at Bitcoin Beach? Ooh, there's probably about ten, I would guess. Um, there's a number of Canadians and Americans and then obviously Salvadorans and, and some other Central Americans and then uh, a smattering of Europeans. 
So we have uh, some friends of ours that are from Belgium, couple, actually a couple families from Belgium, um, one from France, and yeah, it's, it's quite a mix. Do you have any Britcoiners there, Michael? We do not have any Britcoiners uh, at current. Oh, um, there's, a, there's a lot of Britcoiners that are going to be listening to this, and cold AF, and miserable <laughs> AF, and... Uh, you know, kind of very sick of the current climate over there, whether that be temperate or political. Uh, so they might be knocking on your door pretty soon when we get, by the time we get to the end of this podcast. We, we are ready for them. If you guys can, uh, if your government will let you escape there, it sounds like uh, everything's pretty locked down. So. Caitlin, what, what's your question? You may have to get smuggled out and uh, get on a flight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how, what, what made you want to start Bitcoin Beach? How did you start it up? What... Uh, well, I've been kind of fascinated by Bitcoin for you know, probably the last 10 years and started dipping my toe into it four or five years ago. And we were doing some other um, just development work in this area, not involving Bitcoin. And we were connected with a donor um, who was an early investor in Bitcoin and wanted to use some of his Bitcoin holdings to change the world. And so we put a proposal together for them to use Bitcoin in kind of real transactional ways and try to create a circular Bitcoin economy here in El Zante. And I thought for sure he would just laugh at us, but he said, all right, let's do it. And so uh, it's been crazy since then. That's amazing. I can't wait to get into this story. <laughs> do you girls have any more questions? You guys will definitely have to, uh, you guys will have to come visit us at some point. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. This is happening, Michael. I got another question, though. <laughs> okay. How many people are living, okay. kind of living at um, Bitcoin Beach? So there's about 3,000 people in our village, and probably 90% of them are using Bitcoin in some way in their life. So it's, it's a pretty small village, but, but pretty much everybody's plugged into the Bitcoin network. Sounds like a paradise. I want to go. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's Do, have, have either of you girls ever tried uh, surfing before? Uh, so Kate, Kate yeah, has, I did me. with my friends this summer. I'm, I'm not very good. Well, we will uh, we'll have to, to get you out there on some lessons. The, the water is like bath water, and uh, I don't think you guys will want to leave if you come visit. <laughs> well, I love it, but I don't think the board likes me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just practice. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank Say you. Say good night. Thank you. Bye. All right. Good night, girls. Bye. Thanks, Michael. Uh, so much to unpack and ask you about. Um, sounds like such a an exciting project. Um, so where to begin? Well, first of all, for the listeners that haven't fallen in exactly yet. What What is Bitcoin Beach? Where are you based? 
what's the mission how long have you been there and uh yeah don't don't hold back paint the picture of paradise okay yeah so uh bitcoin beach is uh basically the the coastal areas of el zante our goal or of, of el salvador um, our goal is to see it spread from El Zante, which is where we kind of launched the project and have it go kind of up and down the coast from there and really um, trying to start a Bitcoin circular economy where Bitcoin is used in real ways, where people are being paid in Bitcoin, where all of the businesses accept Bitcoin, where um, people are holding their savings in Bitcoin and also in most of Central America, a lot of the economies depend on remittances, which is money sent back from family members that are working in the U.S. or Europe. And so we really want to see that network switched over and start using Bitcoin. So they stop you know, giving 5-10% of all the money they're sending to Western Union and dealing with all the um, hangups and red tape that comes with them trying to get money back to their families. So we kind of see this broad opportunity to really have Bitcoin take over and be the, the medium of choice for people when they're looking to exchange value with each other. And we are about a year into this project. And our idea was to initially start out in one village and try to get a significant amount of adoption. And we've done that. And from here, we're, we're moving out into the neighboring areas. So it's... Um, yeah, it's a beautiful beach town. It's a combination of local and foreign tourists that, that come here. It's renowned for its surfing and now for Bitcoin. Yeah, and I've been following your, your Twitter account. How many, how many services would you say are now accepting Bitcoin? Because I see you, you update the pins all the time. So I think right now we have about 30 businesses that are accepting uh, Bitcoin. We have on that, that map where we have all the pinned locations, I think there's a little under 20 on there right now, but a number of the businesses are mobile, so they're not on the map because we don't want people to try to go find them and then <laughs> realize that they're mobile. So, But those would be like the, the guys that drive around selling bread, fresh bread in the morning, uh, the fruit and vegetable trucks that, that come through town every day. Uh, even there's mobile vendors that come through selling used clothes and things like that. So we have a real vast majority of the local businesses right now are accepting Bitcoin. And can you, like bars, restaurants, hotels, has it reached that kind of level yet? Or are you feeling it? No, definitely. There's there's several restaurants that accept it. I believe at this point there's two hotels and then a number of private guest homes that you know do kind of VRBO type things, but um, but they'll take Bitcoin as, as payment if you kind of do it privately with them. Um, so it's it's primarily the businesses geared towards the locals was our initial focus, but now we're moving into the broader economy. And it's, it's interesting because now we have a lot of businesses coming to us and telling us, hey, how, how do I start accepting Bitcoin? Nobody here has cash anymore and they all want to use Bitcoin at my store and I'm losing customers. So how do I get into this? And so that's been a real exciting thing to see just in, in the last few months where they've started to come to us and wanted to know how they can connect to this. Wow, man. this must be so amazing to 
watch play out. Like this is the free market, right? This is the free market informing the the service providers what they want and how they want to pay. No, it, it really is. It's it's you know initially we had to kind of do some pushing and some hand holding and some incentivizing. But once people start using Bitcoin, once they start holding some of their savings in Bitcoin and seeing that, you know, even though it's volatile over time, it, it appreciates against, you know, the declining fiat currency, they, they get it. They want to be a part of it. And they're, they're going out telling their neighbors, telling the other businesses, hey, you need to start accepting Bitcoin. It's so easy. You don't have to worry about change. People can send you mobile payments. So, you know, we're in a small village that never had access to Amazon or anything like that, where now the people can send a, a lightning payment um, to the, the store and have the, the boy from the store come and deliver food to their house. You know, so we're they're experiencing the world in a whole different way. And that's just one aspect of being able to use Bitcoin. You know, obviously the hard money aspect and the savings technology of it and everything else that goes with it. But. Um, once people start using and transacting in Bitcoin, they, they don't want to use anything else. Mate, that's amazing. Well, just quickly before the next question, would you mind just pointing your, your camera down a little bit? I can only see the top half of your head. Oh, I think it's just moving. I'm sorry. I didn't. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that's better. That's, uh, that's just for my own benefit. <laughs> okay. Um, the, I'm not seeing the, other, the camera so, on my side. Am I on the wrong, uh? Oh no, that's fine. I can see it's okay. It's only audio anyway. Okay. It's just uh, for my okay. uh, for my benefit, so I can see. Um, the yeah, this is awesome. So when when we talk about Bitcoin as individual Bitcoiners, we we know we understand like the the fundamental shift it has with our thinking, our mindset, how we go about. Uh, presenting ourselves and you know uh, whether it's business or just in personal conversations our thinking just gets completely changed to start witnessing that on a community scale has got to be pretty amazing i would love to hear some kind of stories around anything that you've kind of felt shift over the, the last year or so that you've been there and more and more people coming onto it Well, you really see people for the first time in their life starting to think about savings and starting to think about the um, what they're giving up when they're spending something now versus saving for later. I think when people are dealing with cash, they feel like, well, it's just going to go down in value over time, so why not spend it now? And especially in a place like El Salvador, where most people are li living pretty hand to mouth uh, and don't have a lot of margin for, for savings, there's really been no incentive for them to save before. And we're really seeing that change. We're talking to people that are saying, for the first time in my life, I have, you know, a, a couple thousand dollar equivalent in Satoshi's, you know, saved up. And I've never had more than, you know, $50 at any time to my name before. And now I'm going to be able to replace my roof, which has needed to be replaced for three years, but I just would never have the money to be able to do that. Um, young, young kids, um, not kids, but the, the youth here, you know, the 15, 16, 17 years old, 
there's a real big gang problem in El Salvador. And so a lot of the kids at that age are drawn into the gangs. They feel like there's no opportunity for them in the workplace. There's not, no ability for them to make anything for themselves. And so they feel like, well, if I join the gangs, I have kind of that respect and, and people will fear me. And, and they feel like that's their best option. So we're seeing a lot less of that now. Now they have the ability to save. There's jobs being created in the community and they're being able to see that savings add up to where they can help their parents out with things. They can continue on to university and further their education. They're being opened up to a whole world of jobs that they can do online where they're not dependent on you know, the, the local low paying jobs, but they can connect with international paying jobs if they get the right um, learning and, and skill set. And a lot of that, it goes hand in hand with Bitcoin because they're on the, the front end of a lot of these new technologies. And so it's not like they're starting from way behind. They're, the local youth here know more about how to use Bitcoin in practical ways than people you meet at a Bitcoin conference. So we're really seeing just a, a revolution happen in their outlook for the future. That's awesome. So where did this all begin? Um, the, the, it's just, what, if, if we wind it back, you know, what was your previous career before you ended up in El Salvador? Where, where, where were you? You've clearly had a, some kind of working career before, had the family, the 2.4 kids, lived the American dream. At some point, that came to a shuddering halt, and you, you found a calling elsewhere. What what was the what was the career? What what was the path? So I was a carny. Uh, I traveled with the carnival. Um, I say that only half joking. Uh, we we have a food concessions business. <laughs> the number of mobile food food stands. And so we would do those seasonally in the U.S. at big events where you get like 1.5 million people over a four, four to five week period. And um, I grew, grew up doing that. It was my grandfather's business. Um, I was an accounting major in college and thought that I was going to go be a CPA. And I did that for one summer and it just bored me to death. So I wound up buying my grandfather's uh, business from him. And we'd work crazy hours during the summer, you know, 100, 120 hours a, a week for like three months. But then we would have, you know, another six to eight months off every year during the winter. So I could go on surf trips, travel, do other things. And probably about 15 years ago, we took a trip down to El Salvador um, to go surfing, fell in love with the people, the warm water. Brought my wife back on a trip a month later and we bought a house um, in the community where we're at. So every year we'd come down for a few months and we were kind of exposed to a lot of the needs and the challenges that the local people faced. And we wanted to figure out a way that we could kind of plug in and be a part of that solution um, to, to see change happen. And we also met a number of uh, other families that were working here, working with different churches or nonprofits. And so we developed an organization called Mission Sake that's kind of a behind the scenes uh, network that helps people um, doing work in El Salvador. You know, they're either Americans or Canadians or Europeans, um, gives them kind of a, a resource to plug into, connects them with other people that are doing similar things. So if they're running a children's home 
we connect them with other people that are running children's homes so they can share uh, best practices. We also um, provide kind of trauma counseling and stuff for people that are working in some, some pretty sad situations, working with women who have been victims of sex trafficking or things like that. And so we kind of run this umbrella network um, that, that tries to support, we probably, I think there's about 60 organizations that are working here that we kind of support behind the scenes. But then we also wanted to directly have an impact in the community where we were living. And so through that, we started doing a number of educational um, things, focusing on making it sure that kids could go on to high school. There's not a local high school here, so, so we provided transportation so they could go to the neighboring high school. Uh, also doing scholarships for them to go on to university. And we were already doing a lot of that when I was connected to uh, this Bitcoin donor uh, who I don't even know his name, even at this point. He, he's anonymous, he, but he was an early um, investor in Bitcoin from the very beginning and is sitting on you know, a, a significantly appreciated stack of Bitcoin and he wanted to use it in ways that could really have an impact on the world. But he didn't want uh, to give it to organizations that were just going to convert it to fiat. He really feels that actually using Bitcoin will be part of the solution that brings people out of poverty and, and brings them to a better life. And so we gave him kind of this audacious, crazy proposal that we would try to start this Bitcoin circular economy. And we predicted it would take at least three years and we kind of broke it into phases. And I thought for sure he would just laugh at me and say, you're nuts. Um, but surprisingly, he came back with a couple questions and then said, hey, let's go. So this guy <laughs> that I still don't know his name is uh, supporting this whole crazy adventure we get to do. And I think when we started, I didn't realize there was nothing like this anywhere else in the world. I just assumed there would be other projects like this that we could learn from, that we could kind of follow their lead. And once we got into it and I started reaching out to people, I realized there's really nobody starting a true circular economy. There's people doing different initiatives and trying to use Bitcoin in different ways, but to actually try to make it so people are getting paid in Bitcoin, the businesses are accepting Bitcoin, people are doing their spending in Bitcoin, nobody has, has yet really been able to achieve that. And uh, probably if I had known better, uh, I never would have started because I would have known it was impossible to do. But sometimes when you don't know something's impossible, uh, it happens. So, yeah. That's such a crazy story about how, how were you put in touch? How did this mysterious donor find you? Uh, and has it only ever been via like text or email or you've had some kind of voice calls or face zoom calls or facetime or anything or is it just totally completely anonymous so so initially um i was introduced to somebody another organization that somebody had donated a bitcoin to and they were they knew i was in the space and so they they asked me hey we got this bitcoin but we don't know what to do with it and so i kind of sat down with them and explain different, you know, different options that they had at that time. And I didn't really think anything else of it. And then uh, a month or two later, the, the gentleman contacted me and said, Hey, 
would you like to meet this donor and, and talk to him? Maybe he'd be interested in supporting the work you guys are doing. And so, of course, I was fascinated. Uh, you know, I, regardless of whether he wanted to be involved or not, I, I just was curious and wanted to meet this guy. And so I drove up and it was the, it was, we were in a conference room at kind of a work share location. And I sat down with this guy and we started talking. And then quickly I realized that he was not the donor. He was the manager of the donor. And so he started explaining to me, you know, what this donor's vision was, but that he, you know, wants to remain anonymous. That's why he does everything through uh, the manager and basically laid out his vision for seeing Bitcoin used in real transactional ways. He doesn't want it converted to fiat. He doesn't want any altcoins or any other coins involved. He, it has to be Bitcoin only and why that is and how he sees this as potential to, to change the world. And I left from the meeting just super intrigued and excited to, to hear that there's somebody thinking outside the box like that. Um, I've always been the type of person that just thinks of things that nobody else would, you know, nobody else would even really be able to like entertain or even think would be possible. I've always just loved thinking of doing things totally different, turning things upside down, throwing out all the old rules and trying something totally different. So to hear that there was this guy who wanted to see that happen and that he was sitting on a significant amount of funds that he wanted to use to fund it. Um, I went ahead and sat down and threw together a, a proposal. I, I had a feeling from my interaction with the manager that, that the donor wasn't real interested in, you know, something super polished. He just wanted a vision that he could get behind. And so I put it together pretty quickly and it was pretty audacious in what we were asking for and looking to do and sent it off to him. And he followed up with a few other questions and then just said, all right, let's do it. And I was super shocked and a little, a little scared then because like, okay, wow, we, <laughs> we really have to do this. Like, this is, this is not a small thing, you know, starting a circular economy from scratch. I mean, we were going to have to handhold in this population that most of them have never even heard of Bitcoin before. So we're going to have to walk on both the consumer side and the business side and, you know, deal with the, the chicken and the egg problem of any network of, you know, how do you, how did this, is there value for some, there's only value for something if people are willing to accept it for payment, but people are only willing to accept something for payment if there's a lot of people who want to pay them in that. And so, yeah, we just kind of threw ourselves into it from, from there. I got to ask because, you know, I'm married, I got kids. Uh, I'm assuming um, you, you had a partner, wife, uh, uh, like to bounce this idea off. You come home from a meeting where you've just met some guy's guy, right? Essentially, like, like, this is all a bit James Bond, clandestine, you know, rando meeting who's going to fund us with, you know, X Bitcoin. Uh, like, I know what my wife would have been doing. She would have been making the eyes and like, what are, what are you saying? Can you, can you hear what's coming out of your mouth? Do you mind sharing with us that, that, that kind of conversation process? 
yeah, of course, my my wife didn't believe it was real. Um, <laughs> it, it just seemed too bizarre. She's like, what do you mean you didn't meet the actual guy? You met his manager. And, and even his manager, he was, he was amazingly super nice guy. Um, and it was, you know, fun getting to spend some time with him. But I could tell he, he didn't really come from the Bitcoin world. He just happened to be, you know, somebody that this donor trusted. And so even as we were interacting and talking about things, I could tell that he wasn't as deep in the Bitcoin world as even I was. And so it it actually made it feel more credible because it seemed like if this was some type of scam or there's something weird that people would have definitely you know, made it much more polished and, you know, made it seem much more real. So the fact that it was so absurd actually added to the realness of it. And, and I knew somebody who had been funded, you know, who, who they had given a Bitcoin to. So I knew that there was, you know, transactions that had actually happened and just the, just the overall absurdity of the whole thing made it, made me feel like this could actually be real. So my wife didn't necessarily uh, share those same feelings with me at first, but you know, as she's seen, the donor has has complied with everything that he has has agreed to do, and has has funded all the different initiatives here. And so, you know, obviously now she she realizes that this guy is for real. But it, it is one of those things that seemed too good to be true, but it actually did turn out to be true. Do you think you'll ever meet him? I, I'm not sure. I, I don't want to push him because, you know, I want to respect his desire to, to remain anonymous. And so, um, but, you know, I'm hoping at some point he will be able to come down to El Salvador and, and see, you know, what he has helped create here and what he's made possible, because obviously none of this would have been possible if it wasn't for, for the funds that he's provided. So I'm really hopeful that, um, that yeah, he will come here, whether as himself or in disguise, you know, that's, that's up to him. Um, but I, I really hope he's able to see what he's achieved here. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he could have been multiple times for all, you know, I suppose he could, he could have living he could have. way down the beach. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that is true. Mr. X, if you're listening, if you, if you haven't been, uh, I think it's, uh, well, I'm, I'm sure Mr. X is listening. Uh, who doesn't listen to the once bitten podcast, right? That's, uh, I'm, I'm sure he's of course, listening. Of course, <laughs> He's going to come down and, uh, and check out what's going on the beach. So, so like you, you get to this point and is that the point where had you already sold the business uh, at this, at this stage and you were considering uh, moving country or was this kind of the, the push you needed? So, so we were already, we were kind of living in two places. So we would spend like four months in the U S and the other eight months in El Salvador. And so we were doing our nonprofit work here for, we started that about six years ago. So we had already been basically living here and then just going back to the U S to work. Um, and so we've, with this project, we've, we've, um, scaled back a little bit the time that we spend in the U.S. Uh, just because there's so much to do here now. And so um, now it's probably like two to three months. Although with, with COVID, everything is kind of up, up in the air. Our business wasn't able to operate at all this last year um, because 
from my personal perspective, a, a nanny state government in California that is intent on uh, pushing every small business in California into bankruptcy. But, but that's another story. Um, we haven't been able to operate. And so it's, it's actually on the plus side, it's allowed me to pour all my efforts into the expanding project here. And even during COVID, we had just some amazing opportunities to um, see Bitcoin really carry people through that tough time. We had during that time, El Salvador was also in a lockdown and it was a super strict lockdown. I mean, military out, making sure nobody left their homes except, you know, once a week to go to the grocery store. And so nobody could work. And here, if you don't work, you don't eat. And so people were literally going hungry. And so during that time, we ramped up um, a process to be able to do disbursements every three to four weeks to basically all the families in the community. And so about every three weeks, we were giving about $40 equivalent, you know, depending on the, the exchange rate at that time to each of these families. And that served two purposes. One, it allowed them to get enough food to keep from going hungry, but it also allowed the local businesses to stay in business during that time and not have to shut down and lay off their employees. And it greatly expanded the people that were using Bitcoin within the community. And so we had the majority of the 500 families that live in our community now actively use Bitcoin. They know how to you know, send and receive, and they've bought tortillas and you know, milk and all the basics in their life with Bitcoin. And so they realize that it's something that can be used for, for everything. And with the Lightning Network, there's none of that FUD about the, the fees to the transaction fees or the transaction time, because basically for free, you can send a transaction instantly to your neighbor and you don't even have to, you can, you can be still in your home and send it to them and have them come deliver to you. It does, you don't even have to, to physically scan and, and send. And so for us, COVID actually really helped us to expand the reach of Bitcoin and for people to realize how helpful it is in daily life. I've seen some of those videos on your Twitter feed where like, you just rock up to the, the taco cart or something and they or tortilla cart, whatever it is that they're cooking for you, some of the local delicious food in what less than two or three minutes, you've got your food, they've accepted payment via Lightning and you're on your way and they can go on about their business in the knowledge that that those sats that they've received for that for that effort is likely to to rise in value uh, it's just this is what it's about right this is as grassroots as it gets and you guys are doing it what what are you how are you teaching them what are they using like uh hardware wise obviously a smartphone of some sort and then you know which which services are you are you plugging the guys into? So initially, we we tried to focus heavily on the educational side, and so we would try to do a lot of training before we even onboarded anybody. And we quickly realized that it was just too much, and they just felt like it was too much of a hassle, and it just seemed too complicated to them at first. 
And so we really switched strategies to just helping them set up a wallet and helping them do a few transactions. And we found once people start transacting, then they start learning on their own. Then they start asking their friends and they start turning to the internet to try to understand, okay, what actually gives Bitcoin value and how do I keep my Bitcoin safe? And so we really try to get people transacting first before we, we go deeper with them because they have to think it's worth understanding. And once they transact and hold for a while and see it, it the, the movement of value that usually is, is going up more than down, then they have the incentive to actually do the learning. And so that's what we've done kind of for the, the crucial first step. Most people have smartphones pretty much everywhere in the world now. And so it, that was, I believe, I had originally thought that might be an issue that a lot of people wouldn't be able to run mobile wallets on their phones, but even in a, a fairly poor country like El Salvador, um, a very large chunk of the population has a smartphone, or at least somebody in the, in the family has a smartphone. And so we started with uh, mobile wallets. We, we originally started just with uh, the blockchain wallet, just because it was the had the most friendly user interface. It was the clearest, you know, going to dollars to sats, and it kind of had the simplest um, ability to use. But when we initially started, the transaction for the minor fees were pretty low, and so we were able to do that. But we quickly realized that that wasn't going to be sustainable. And fortunately, Lightning was the Lightning Network was making kind of huge leaps in that same time period. And so we quickly switched over everyone to uh, using Lightning wallets. And originally we were using Wallet of Satoshi, um, which is, it's, it's a custodial wallet. And I realize a lot of people um, are against using anything custodial. And at, at heart, I'm definitely a not your keys, not your coins guy. But I also think that usability is of huge importance for adoption. And so... I think it's okay, especially for smaller amounts and for the transactional Bitcoin that you're going to use in your life. I, I think the trade-off for the custodial um, wallet with the, the better UX um, and UI, I, I think is worth it. And so that's kind of our longer term goal is hoping that the, everything, the experience will catch up and that the non-custodial wallets will be just as easy to use. And at that time, we'll push everybody in that direction. But that's how we initially started. And then we were um, we had a company called Galloy Money come to us, and they were looking to build a Lightning wallet that would allow kind of community banking and allow people within a community to hold the keys for that wallet. So they were hoping to kind of have a hybrid where you'd still have the usability of a custodial wallet, but there would be trusted members in the community that held the keys for kind of the reserves that were being used. And those people could be entrusted with, with balancing the channels and, and doing all the backend stuff. And so we've worked with them to develop a, a Bitcoin beach wallet. And if anybody wants to check it out, it's on both the, the Apple store and the, the Google uh, or the Android, was it the iPlay? I don't, I don't use Android, so I'm not sure, but it's on the, the whatever the Play Store is for Android phones mm -hmm. also. And yeah, so that's kind of the goal with the Bitcoin Beach Wallet is to 
it is custodial, but to have members in the community hold the keys and be able to safeguard the funds. And then we've also been able to roll out a lot of kind of cool, interesting features that I'm hoping will eventually be adopted within the protocol. Um, we're able to do push payments so people can just with a username send money to their mom. You know, they have it in their contact list and they can just do a $5 lightning payment to their mom, you know, when she's going to buy milk. And then also for the stores, people can just push pay to them with their username. So the store doesn't have to create a lightning invoice. Um, the people can either scan a QR code that, that all the stores have on display, or they can just grab from their contact list the username of the store and pay them. And we found that actually makes the transaction much faster than using cash even. Because with cash, people have to get change. They have to count it back. Where with this, the, the store owner, all they have to do is grab their phone and check that the, you know, look at the little ping message that they received, you know, 50,000 sats or whatever it was uh, to know they've been paid. And so it's actually speeded up the process of taking payments. Bitcoin Beach Wallet. I've, I found it. I'm downloading it. I'm installing it. <laughs> this is awesome. This is absolutely. And I don't think. Even the hardest of Maxi is ever going to come and give you shit for, you know, uh, custodial wallets for, for what you've achieved so far and what you're doing for, for a community that is, is clearly having the, the, every inhabitant's life changed daily, right? The, the, this small creep of daily fundamental um, life-changing mindset it's uh you know the the compounding effect of that is going to be huge i can't imagine what el zonte is going to look like in 10 years time do you ever think about that like you know what are we building what is what is this going to look like in 10 years time because if it was just a fiat tourist trap i know what it would look like in 10 years time a shithole and you wouldn't want to go it would be really interesting to to see you know, what's going to be built on a Bitcoin community standard? No, I, I definitely think about that. I, I think from, from several different kind of points of view, one is just allowing the locals to accumulate capital. Um, El Zante is, aside from Bitcoin, it's really been a growing um, town. The property values have been going up quite a bit. There's a number of expats that, that have already been looking to relocate here or have bought property here just because it's a beautiful beach. It has good waves. The weather's warm. And so it's an ideal place for a retirement home or a second home. And so we're already seeing a lot of growth. And our fear was that a lot of the locals might be pushed out of town, as you see happen sometimes when, when property values go up and people see business opportunities. Those with more access to, to resources or to bank loans a lot of times can, can push in and push the local people out. And so our goal with, with everything we're doing is that the locals will be able to accumulate uh, capital, that they'll have the funds to, to purchase their own properties, that they won't get pushed to the outskirts. So that's one aspect of it. We also see this as being a, a potential Bitcoin uh, center of the Americas, that this could be a place where Bitcoin related companies would, would choose to either locate their headquarters or at least a field office where they can launch new products into a community that's using Bitcoin in real ways, that they can see the way that their products being used. 
uh, a lot of engineers and designers of, of wallets and different products, they're, they're very deep into their own world and they don't realize, you know, how the majority of the world looks at things or how they interact with technology. So just for them to be able to have a showcase in front of them of, of seeing people use their, their products in everyday life, uh, we think, we hope will be a real incentive to get companies to, to locate here and of course, provide better paying jobs for, for the locals that are versed in using Bitcoin and that are learning technological skills and programming and those sorts of things. And so our, our goal is to create a, a future in El Zante so that the, the kids here don't feel like they have to sneak into the U.S. And, and try to work there to earn enough money to support their families, that they feel that they can stay here and really have a future for their families. Yeah, that's, and I see it all playing out exactly as you see it. I think what what is the what is the currency that's used there? Uh, are the locals very much uh, driven towards the the U.S. dollar? So actually, the U.S. dollar is the official currency in El Salvador. Um, wow. They dollarized their economy, I think, back in two thousand. And so it's, it's been the official currency here for quite a while. And it's been interesting. Initially, when I would tell people our project and what we were doing, they would, people in the Bitcoin world would tell me, well, the fact that they use the U.S. dollar is going to make this project less likely to work because, you know, it is one of the more stable currencies in the world. So it's not like you're in Argentina and people are desperate to get out of the peso or or Venezuela with the Bolivar or, or something like that. They're, they already have access to the U.S. dollar. So what's going to be their incentive to, to use Bitcoin? And I would always counter that I actually think that that's why Bitcoin has a chance to make inroads and become a significant part of the economy here uh, where it wouldn't in other countries because El Salvador doesn't have to fear Bitcoin. They don't have to worry about Bitcoin coming in and their own currency depreciating against it. They don't have that kind of national sense of, oh, no, we need to protect our currency or else it's going to make us look bad. They're already using somebody else's currency. So why not use a, a currency that's the, the strongest in the world, that's the hardest in the world, that's going up in value against the U.S. dollar? And so I think because of that, we're hopeful that the, the government here will, will be receptive and help push our efforts rather than try to stop them. Do you have any contact with them? Uh, are people checking in with what you're doing? Uh, you know, what is kind of the political landscape there? Yeah, so we, we've definitely uh, tried to be very open with what we're doing. We don't want anybody to think we're doing anything secretive. And so we've invited um, members of different government agencies to, to come in and see what we're doing with our educational initiatives. Um, and so we've developed kind of partnerships with the Department of Education and then also uh, more recently with the Department of Tourism. We have launched a professional lifeguarding program in El Zante where the lifeguards are all paid in Bitcoin. And we are looking to expand that into neighboring communities. And 
So we're working with the Department of Tourism for them to, you know, they understand that for the beaches to be safe and to be patrolled by professional lifeguards, that that helps increase tourism and it helps keep the local people safe. And so they're excited about what we're doing. And we're hoping, you know, as these relationships grow, that they'll start to realize what an opportunity El Salvador has to to really put itself on the world stage by being one of the first countries to officially adopt Bitcoin as as an official currency. Uh, we're not, you know, we, we know it's not going to replace the dollar, you know, at least initially, but we would love to see it being used throughout El Salvador side by side with the dollar and let people choose which currency they think is better. Yeah, that's cool. And you mentioned during the lockdown, it was a pretty strict one and you've got military on the streets and I'm sure a few people uh, listening to this might think, whoa, that sounds pretty crazy. Is that par for the course for what goes on there? I mean, is there, you know, I, the reason I ask it, you know, I we, we own a property in Thailand and there seems to be a coup there every other week, but, you know, like it's not really a thing when you're actually there on the ground, uh, you know, the, the news pictures and whatever else, like they, 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 they pick the worst spots to film and that's it, and that's what gets beamed around the world. What's the uh, what? What was your feel when when this was going down in in uh, El Zante? I, I would say that's not par for the course here. We're not, you know, generally worried about the the government or the military. It's it's um, it's not even really a you know a concern. During the lockdown, you saw countries all over the world act in ways that seemed a little surprising and, and a little concerning. Um, I'd say what I saw here in, in, El, in El Salvador was seemed less scary than what I was seeing coming out of Australia and, and some other places that I was really surprised to see how militant the lockdowns were and, and um, the lack of freedom of movement and even free speech to some extent. And so, I don't think El Salvador was was worse than average by any means, um, but I think in general we saw the world basically give up all their freedoms and re return for some perceived sense of safety, and so I, I think that in general is more concerning for me than than what I saw in El Salvador. Yes, yeah, for sure. I echo those sentiments. There's probably a lot of people thinking, sounds great, uh, you know, family man living on the beach, sounds awesome. The Bitcoiners listening around the world, you know, it's probably a, a paradise, a dream come true. But they're always going to have this this question around uh, kids' education on their lips. Uh, I'm very much down the rabbit hole of, of homeschooling or world schooling. And what you've set up there seems like a dream for my family, for me to come over there and spend two or three months with my wife and the four kids, the family start to learn Spanish, the family start to understand a completely different culture, completely different continent, learn how to surf and everything else that comes along with, you know, meet new people and everything, you know, that that to me is, is real education. But for, for many people, it's about, 
the grades uh, you, you know you've still got to get certificates and, and all this kind of stuff how are you guys dealing with that and um uh, what what services are in place or or do you use yeah so <clears throat> when our kids were were younger um we we homeschooled them and so when we first came moved down here about six years ago we we were just full fully homeschooling them and a year later, there was actually a local kind of co-op school that opened up here in El Zante uh, that was run by a family. The, the dad is American, the wife is, is Salvadoran, and they wanted to have a kind of a more holistic schooling option for their kids. And so they started that. And then there was also a family from Belgium that their kids came, uh, some French, a French Canadian family, and then a few different Salvadoran families whose kids speak English. And so they started this kind of co-op school called Escuela Libre. Um, we would jokingly refer to it as the hippie school because they were, you know, just very focused on like gardening and roasting your own coffee and um, doing plays and a lot of super cool stuff that uh, my wife and I wouldn't be able to give them. And so we would have our kids go there two days a week and do all that sort of stuff. And then we would do their, their English and math um, and science kind of on, on our end. And so that worked really great. They had their friends at school. They learned Spanish, um, even some French because the, there was a number of the students there spoke French also. And, um, you know, we're kind of in, embedded in the community but we were still keeping up with their more core subjects and we were officially registered with a, like a, a school in California that officially gave them their grades and their transcripts and everything like that. So for us, it was kind of the best of both worlds. And then more recently, when my daughter started high school, she really wanted to go to you know, a more traditional uh, school. And so she goes to the American school, which is in the capital city and it's a it's an international prep school. I mean, way 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 better equipping her than any school that she would be put in 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 the U.S. And you know, on and local standards, it's expensive, but compared to what we'd spend in the U.S. for a prep school like that, it's a, a fraction of the cost. And and she's still getting this more diverse perspective and and seeing the world through through the eyes of the you know, people that view the world very differently. And so we've been really excited about the variety of uh, educational opportunities our kids have been able to uh, get while they're here. And if people want to check out, I'm not, I know the Escuela Libre has um, shut down during, during COVID and I'm not sure what their restart plans are, but I do know they have a website. So if you just search Escuela Libre in El Zante, uh, you'll come across the website and you can get kind of more information on the school. I'll put it in the show notes. You mentioned um, a uh, a place in California. Is that West River Academy? Were, were they signed up with uh, with those guys for like the, the, the schooling out of California that would um, assign them transcripts for uh, like the what they need to get into university? Yeah. So so there is a number of um, they're they're you know, just officially registered as schools, but they're basically built to be kind of umbrella organizations for people that homeschool. 
so that when you apply for university, there's, you know, sometimes homeschoolers can be dismissed as not going to real school or the schools don't know how to handle them. So these organizations just basically make everything legal and give something to the universities or, or even when we were having our kids here go into high school, uh, the school wanted transcripts. And so if we hadn't mm-hmm. had those transcripts, it would have been hard for them to, to attend the American school here. There are a number of companies doing that. And I want to highlight that to the listeners because, you know, if you're, you, you wouldn't know this, right? If you've not been down that rabbit hole, if you've not looked at the amount of services and it's just exploded over the last five years with the, with the, especially the rise of world schooling, uh, which, which I saw firsthand uh, and which you guys obviously have seen firsthand. And I'm sure you've had some world schooling families come through um, and still do. No, definitely. I mean, and, and the schooling that we were doing here, even though we weren't moving from place to place, it was, it was very much in line uh, with, with what world schoolers are usually looking to do. Having an umbrella organization, it just gives your kids more um, flexibility going forward. Make sure they don't miss out on opportunities because of some stupid legal requirement or technical thing. And it's pretty cheap to to join these organizations, and they really make life so much easier. So, if anybody is world schooling their kids, I would highly recommend you know looking into using one of these things just just to make the any type of transfer to another school a lot easier for your kids. Yeah, and and one such company I've spoken to the founder before is uh, is West River Academy, and that's run by Peggy Webb. So if anybody wants to check that out, um, there'd be Peggy runs that with her daughters who were homeschooled as well. And but you know the the stories that you hear about, and for those people that might be listening and have seen the film Captain Fantastic, uh, which is you know it's a it's a bit Hollywoody, but it, it's good fun. Um, the, the scene where the, the oldest kid goes off to college and gets all the acceptance, let, acceptance letters, uh, from, from all over the place, right? Harvard, Yale, you know, you name them. Um, these, th- that, these stories are very common in the homeschooling and, and world schooling community. Uh, but it, having one of these umbrella companies help you with that transcript to set you up correctly and, offer yourself up in, in such a, in such a in incredibly different way to the acceptance, the administration officer of, of a university, they're almost, they'd be crazy to turn you down. Uh, you know, if it's their job to attract top talent to their university, um, it's, uh, it, it's a really kind of, it, it goes against all the FUD of, well, they'll never be able to get to university and they'll never be able to get a job. Yeah, and I think, I mean, a, a big part of using one of those organizations is just to make it easier on the school. They want those those kids who have those unique experiences, but sometimes it's hard for them to figure out how to translate things because they just have a system where they have to input, you know, X, Y, Z, and it, these schools help everything line up with that. So you still retain all the flexibility on what your kids are taught. You, you don't lose any of your autonomy but it just makes the transition to some other type of schooling that much easier. Right, Michael, 
how are we going to get more people interested in coming down and uh, checking out Bitcoin Beach? What are the um, what are the kind of price ranges of accommodation? If somebody wants to come down with their family or single partner, whatever, and they want to hang out for two or three months, I mean, I'm guessing it ranges from a hut on the beach to medium luxury to high end infinity pool looking over the ocean you know whatever you might want uh what what are, what are the kind of thing is that available uh, accommodation wise for people that might be thinking about coming down and seeing you guys yeah there there is across the board um in, in price range but you, you definitely get what you pay for and so there is on the very basic end you know just a uh, kind of apartment type, uh, small room with a shared kitchen and bathroom, you know, for a, for a single or a couple would maybe be, you know, four or $500 a month, um, <clears throat> for, you know, 12 to, to 1500, you can rent, you know, a, a nice little private home, um, apartment type thing where you'll have your own kitchen and some yard and that sort of thing. And then there's also um, a, I'd say it's like a four-star, really nice hotel here that has kind of apartment villas that they're two-bedroom apartments, two-bedroom, two-bath, your own private plunge pool. I mean, first class all the way. And you can actually get that for about 3000 a month. So it's only about 100 bucks a night. I mean, it's, it's really a steal. And it has, you know, high-speed internet and, you know, all the amenities that go along with that. And then there's also, um, I know at least there's at least one program that is um, that has started up this last year that's trying to do like a work abroad program. And so they've rented out this really beautiful beach house um, right in front of the break, and they do kind of an all inclusive. So if you're, uh, I think mostly it's young singles or couples that are coming down but still have to work full time, they'll come and do that. And I think it's like three to four thousand dollars a month but that includes your housing your airport transfer your food uh weekend excursions and really helps you get situated here so i've seen a lot of people start off in that program and then do a month with them and then once they feel like they know the ropes here and they know some people then they'll rent the you know a private accommodation um and like one of the others that i described and, and all those that I mentioned, they all accept Bitcoin for payment. So, um, and we're seeing increase, we're, we're definitely seeing that increase. So I think there'll be more and more options for people who want to be able to pay in Bitcoin. Right. This is awesome. And if anybody, right, if, well, if anybody, uh, I'm sorry, I was just going to say, if any, if anybody is coming here and wants, you know, wants more info on that, they can hit me up, but at Bitcoin Beach on Twitter, and I can give you some links for the different um, places that are accepting Bitcoin. That's perfect. And I'll, of course, put that in the, your your Twitter handle will go the first thing in the title line of, of this episode so people can find you as quickly as possible with any of the questions that they might have to follow up. Uh, I end the show with the same question uh, to everybody. And that is, if you had one orange pill left to give to someone who would you give it to and why 
I would give it to uh, President Nayib Bukele, who is the president of El Salvador here. Um, he, he may be already a Bitcoiner. I know he's he's one of the youngest presidents in the world, and he's very forward looking and um, is, is very focused on technology. And so I'm really hoping that longer term he will embrace Bitcoin as part of the, the solution to see El Salvador be developed. But yeah, he would definitely be the, the one person that I would give an orange pill to. Perfect. That's, uh, that's a great place to, to end it, Michael. I think um, many of us sitting here in the winter months listening to this are going to be uh, very tempted by uh, everything that you've just laid out for us. So I uh, appreciate you giving up uh, some time today and, uh, and coming on the show to, uh, to teach us all about what's going on. Yeah, no, we've we've already had a number of Bitcoiners come down, even in the last few months, even with uh, the COVID travel restrictions, people are finding a way to, to get here. And another thing that we're looking to do is we're looking to do a, a Bitcoin focused uh, housing development here. And mm-hmm. the idea would be to everything would transpire in Bitcoin, all the monthly fees would be in Bitcoin. And, you know, obviously, we're looking for Bitcoiners to, to be the ones buying and um, you know, living there, and the idea is that the more Bitcoiners we get here, the more chance of continued success this community has, because we'll have people continuing to inject Bitcoin even once the the donors' funds, you know, are kind of removed from the situation. And so that's how we see making this uh, sustainable. It's so tempting, man. <laughs> you know, follow. We got to follow your Twitter account to see what's going on. I suppose uh, I'm going to get strung up actually for this. I didn't ask you a rabbit hole story, and this is the only the only reason people ever come to a Bitcoin podcast. So I apologize. Where? How? How did you first fall into the rabbit hole? I one of those weird people that that kind of came into it more on the monetary side. Um, from, you know, from the very early days, um, I'm not sure if it was 2010, 2011, but, you know, I was seeing these different stories come across at, at different times talking about this crazy Bitcoin thing and this, you know, currency that was being started. And I was just so intrigued because it lined up with all of my personal views as far as the importance of hardness of money my libertarian uh, bent on, you know, how I feel the, the world most properly functions. And so I was super intrigued, but I kept trying to buy it. And I'm definitely not a tech person. And so I think I tried to buy it in 2013. And it was way too complicated and way too many steps. And I was for sure that I would lose it or it just wouldn't work. And so I kind of put it on the shelf. And then I think in 2015, I I took another look at it and once again tried to purchase. And that time I went a little further, but it still was, it just seemed too complicated. And then finally in in 2017, when, you know, Coinbase and and Kraken and and all of the exchanges had had made it pretty easy for even a a Luddite like me to use, that's when I first actually purchased Bitcoin and 
And once you own Bitcoin, of course, you're you're much more in tuned with with what's going on to it, and you naturally read more, and uh, you definitely get pulled deeper into the rabbit hole. But um, my attraction to it has has always been more on the monetary side. I will give the caveat of I you know as a business owner and having used you know probably a big portion of our sales are in credit cards, and so we probably pay. I don't know, thirty to forty thousand dollars a year just in credit card fees in our business. Uh, I'm definitely intrigued by how Bitcoin can basically bypass all the credit card rails and bypass the existing system that that siphons off, you know, funds and basically frees business owners to not need permission from the bank, not need to report, you know, things to to justify. Um, you know, being able to be qualified to accept credit cards or things like that, not worried about their accounts being frozen or hung up about something. And so, um, yeah, those, those are kind of the, the, the areas that Bitcoin's really pulled at me. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I, I can't, thirty to $40,000 a year in credit card fees. It's just, ah. Uh... It'll be great to be rid of well, them. Not only that, but not only that, but you get the um, where they what's the phrase they use where they, they basically push back the transaction on you and, and say you know it was stolen or it was fraud, so a chargeback. So you you have to deal with all the chargebacks, the the accounting side of it, just trying to reconcile you know how much they're taking from you. The crazy thing with a credit card is you don't know how much the fees are. Because every credit card is different depending on the, the points or how the credit card's set up. And you have no choice. You, you have to accept them all. And so it's, it's the craziest system and it's totally one-sided and, and skewed against the small business owners. So I, I'm very excited to see you know, companies like Strike um, that are using Lightning to basically bypass that. And I, I really think in five, 10 years from now, uh, the, the credit card companies will be fighting for their lives. Unless they wake up and integrate Bitcoin somehow, but they've, they're going to have to be very smart with, with the fee issue because like business owners like yourself that see it for what it is and are going to obviously be educating as many people as you can about it already are. Um, yeah, they got a fight on their hands. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure they'll they'll find a way, but they're going to have to give up their fat fees that they're used to, and they're actually going to have to provide value. Where right now they have a monopoly, and and you're really at their mercy. And so I, I, I definitely wouldn't want to be a holder of Visa or Mastercard uh, stock right now. <laughs> Dump those bags, people. That's the message from from Bitcoin Beach, <laughs> and uh, yeah, long um, long may your your project last, mate. Uh, hopefully, it'll be self funding itself very very soon. I really hope you get to meet the anonymous donor and uh, put your wife's worries at ease that if this was a real person, <laughs> that uh, yeah. <laughs> um, Thanks again so much for, for coming on. Really, uh, really appreciate you giving up the time. Well, I, it's, it's my pleasure to be here. And, and 
make sure your daughters keep harassing you to, to bring them here to, to do some surfing. Can't wait to get there. I really can't. Uh, it's it's a continent we've not even been to yet. So it's and it's one we want to do justice. So you know, minimum nine months to a year uh, around uh, different parts of the continent. That that's definitely on the agenda. And um, to come and find a Bitcoin community, who knows? You might just get stuck there, right? Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Michael. Well, thanks for joining us and uh, look forward to chatting again next time. All right. Take care. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Michael, again for taking the time to come on and share these uh, amazing stories of yours of how you got to set up Bitcoin Beach, how you found yourselves there. And uh, the mystery backer, that's such a great story. I love that one. That's it's it, it it's so perfect with the the whole bitcoin ethos of trying to uh stay anonymous and decentralize and improve people's lives and you guys are living that message and i think it's brilliant and, and i really hope people reach out to uh to mike and uh, you, you you know you can find him on at bitcoin beach on twitter and hopefully we can once we can all start moving around a bit more freely get down to this community take a closer look at what's going on and see how we can help as bitcoiners we're all going to become a little bit more free as this future unfolds and we'll get to take advantage of that freedom and, and start giving back to to communities that that like this are probably going to start cropping up all over the place I will endeavor to find more. I hope to do more interviews like this this year. So keep uh, keep an ear to the ground. Uh, before we sign off, I just want to say the usual thank yous to the sponsors of the show. Uh, you know who that is by now. And if you're in the UK, it's CoinFloor, uh, a UK exchange, Bitcoin only. That's coinfloor.co.uk forward slash Bitten. If you're in the US, you know it's Swan. They fly across all 50 states. Swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten. Really appreciate you guys listening. I look forward to the next show. Let's go. Thanks so much.